This evening, as we continue, I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 4. You can find the passage printed in your, your worship folder. And it's a bit longer passage, so if you like to listen rather than follow along, I um, just want you to know that ahead of time. But Mark chapter 4, verse 35 uh, through Mark chapter 5, verse 20. Listen to what God says. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, that's Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, On the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. 
As we continue our series in Mark, these two stories are remarkable stories, to say the least. And and my guess is that for most of us, the the story of Jesus calming the storm is, uh, at least you've heard of it, it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And uh, perhaps the story of the demoniac, the, the man possessed by the demons, is maybe not as familiar, but it is certainly... I think stands out as one of the strangest. <laughs> and Mark puts these two stories side by side to continue to get us to ask the question that runs again and again throughout the story of Mark's gospel, and that is, who is Jesus? See, the calming of the storm, Jesus demonstrates his power over all of creation. But then in the story of the man possessed by demons, he demonstrates his power over all spiritual evil. So if I could summarize it for you, when you take these two stories together, what they teach us is that Jesus has power over every aspect of your life. The inside and the outside. The spiritual realm and the natural realm. There is no part of creation whether you can see it or not, that Jesus' power doesn't reach. It reaches everywhere. And therefore, through these two stories, what we learn is that Jesus alone has the power to save helpless people in hopeless situations. Jesus alone has the power to save helpless people in hopeless situations. And therefore, I want to highlight just... Three aspects of Jesus' power in this longer passage. I want us to look at the challenge of Jesus' power. I want us to look at the uniqueness of his power. And then last, we'll look at the evidence of his power. So the challenge, the uniqueness, and the evidence. So first, let's look at the challenge of his power. And this comes right out of the the story uh, with Jesus and the disciples on the sea. Because often this story, I think, gets told uh, along these lines or taught in this way. That Jesus stilled the storm in nature and therefore he can still the storm in our hearts too. And, And that's definitely true. That is not inaccurate. But it's not the point of this story. And I want to show you why. It's much more challenging than that. There's definitely comfort in this part of the story But if we don't see the challenge of it, we really miss the point. And here's why. Jesus actually, his power challenges the disciples even more than it comforts them. And I want to show you. Look with me here in verse 37, and then verse 39, and then verse 41. In verse 37, after Jesus and the disciples have left the, the shore... After a lot of teaching, they get in the boat to head across the sea. In verse 37, a great windstorm arose. A great windstorm. And the disciples panic. They cry out to Jesus. And Jesus wakes up in verse 39 from taking a nap. And what do we see? He awoke. He rebukes the wind. At the end of verse 39, there is a great calm. So we go from a great windstorm to a great calm. 
And then, in verse 41, after Jesus does the very thing the disciples wanted to do, which is rescue them from this storm, you would think in verse 41, or the disciples' reaction, that there would be great peace. But what do we see in verse 41? They were filled with great fear. You see, Jesus' power challenges us. It recenters your heart. Jesus' power challenges his disciples because essentially what they discover here, they're confronted with an unfathomable but inevitable truth that Jesus, not only is he a great teacher, not only does he have the power to heal people, but he is actually in this story pictured as a creator God. There, throughout the Bible, water is often a metaphor for chaos. For that part of creation that is beyond taming. It echoes actually the very first verses of the book of Genesis where God himself with a word brings order out of chaos. And orders his creation. Here we have Jesus, his power challenges the disciples to discover that he in fact is one with, he is the same as the God who made all things. And therefore the stilling of the storm, it didn't bring peace, but it actually raised a spiritual storm in the hearts of the disciples. And why why is that? Well, we read in verse 38, the disciples, they go to Jesus and they say to him, in fact, they actually indict him, do you not care about us? You see, the disciples are a picture of what we're like. That when the storms of life, as it were, emerge with sinful hearts, we begin to question, "Does does Jesus really care? Is it possible? Does he really care? Or has he forsaken us? And what happens often is that we, like the disciples, allow the storm, they allow the storm to come between them and the assurance of Jesus' commitment to them. They doubted whether Jesus really cared for them. They had lost faith in his love for them. Now, why does that happen it happens because we, we fail to learn or to remember again and again just how much Jesus does care. And like the disciples, we have to learn that. We have to discover it again and again. That throughout this story, Jesus is leading his disciples to see just how much he cares for them. Even to the point of dying on the cross. He cares for them that much that he would give up his own life in order to rescue them, to save them, not just from a natural storm, but from eternal separation from God. And so the story of Jesus calming the storm, it it ends here somewhat unresolved. The questions don't get answered. They just are posed. Jesus challenges them. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And the disciples are left with 
Who then is this? Who is this Jesus who can command the wind and the sea and they obey him? And those are challenging and even uncomfortable questions, I think, for us. And therefore, we can begin to unravel the spiritual storm brought about by this encounter with Jesus on the sea by continuing to look at the story of the demoniac. And the answer that unravels the storm within our own souls finds its answer in the uniqueness of Jesus' power as he encounters the demoniac. So after they cross the sea and get to the other side, they're now on, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, where this territory called the Gerasenes, it's a region, uh, and we saw at the end of this passage, there's this area called the Decapolis. It's, a, it's essentially a one-word uh, description of ten cities in this area. And it's a Gentile region. And Jesus and his disciples, they arrive on the shore, and immediately he's confronted with one of the most tragic lives in all of Scripture. He encounters this man who is possessed by demons. And we learn later that his name is Legion, that his entire life is held spiritually hostage. And it's a tragic story. He had an unclean spirit. He, we read in verses 3 to 5, he lived alone among the tombs by himself. We learn in verse 4 and, and in verse 5 that no one could contain him. Things were so bad, all they could try to do was to keep him from hurting himself and hurting other people, and that didn't even work. This is a situation that is almost beyond thinkable. He's helpless, and he's hopeless, and he's left to himself out in the tombs, out in the hills, away from everyone. It somewhat echoes the leper that we looked at in Mark chapter 2. This is another example of a dead man walking, essentially. And the thing I want you to see is twice, once in verse 3 and then once again in verse 4, Mark stresses No one was able to subdue him. But then notice Jesus. The moment this demoniac sees Jesus, he falls down at his feet. Just the sheer arrival of Jesus subdues this man. This is a power that is unlike any other. Jesus' arrival and his calling out of this man, the, the, the spiritual bondage and slavery that he's under, subdues him. It's a remarkable picture of the unique power of Jesus. In this encounter, in fact, there's so much I would love to try to unpack. We just don't have time to do it here. But think of it like this. This is a dramatic portrayal of the very essence of Jesus' ministry. That Jesus Christ has come to make men and women new creatures. To free us from all of the spiritual bondage 
and sin and power of the evil one and to give you a new life. This is the very essence of his ministry, to restore people's broken lives by his grace and to repair the ruins into which his image and every human being has fallen. So this story ought to humble you, but also encourage you that Jesus alone has the power to restore and to heal your soul. However, there, there is a danger that I want us to see here. Because it is a, it's a dramatic story. My, my guess is that for most of us, it's a very unfamiliar story. It's strange. Uh, we've never seen maybe something like this. And so it's, it's tempting to think, this doesn't really have a whole lot to do, do with me. And that's a danger for us to think that way. And the reason is that elsewhere in the Bible, for one example being uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, we even read it uh, in our, our uh, word of uh, grace tonight, the Bible actually says we are a lot more like this demoniac than unlike him. The Bible teaches that every one of us, by nature, are dead in our trespasses. We are spiritually broken. That our souls are ravished and they need to be made new. Paul puts it like this, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. I don't know how that strikes you. What's it sound like to you to have to read this story and think, man, I'm, are you really telling me I'm more like this guy than dislike him? And yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what the Bible teaches And the reason that it's so important for us to be aware of the tendency to distance ourselves is because then we will fail to see the more perhaps maybe normal ways that we look like this this demoniac. And let me try to show you. We see it in the response of the people in the story in verses 14 to 17. Notice what happens. After Jesus frees this man from the legion of spirits in his soul, the herdsmen who saw all these pigs, 2,000 or so, rush into the sea and die. As you might imagine, it would freak you out. <laughs> so they run and they tell everyone in the city and in the country that they can see and all these people come rushing out to see Jesus and to see what happened. And listen to what we read. Verse 15. They came to see Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it, they described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. See, here is what I want you to see. The evidence 
of spiritual bondage that parallels or is analogous to what we see in the life of this demoniac, it makes itself known in your life when you find yourself wanting nothing to do with Jesus. And there are at least two examples of this and the response of the crowds that come to see this. You might ask yourself, why were they afraid? Well, one, I think, answer to that is they've seen what Jesus did in this man's life. And it provoked the question, well, if Jesus could do that in that man's life, what might that mean for my life? How might my life need to change? In other words, no one's life is off limits. He has the power to enter into your life and give you new life and fundamentally change the things that you love, the things you long for, the things you hope for, and orient them around him. That can be incredibly terrifying. But also notice they beg him to leave. And that follows right after they realize what happened to all these pigs. Now, there's almost no comment in the story about these 2,000 pigs. And commentators make all kinds of, um, uh, they come up with all kinds of reasons about this. But suffice it to say, in the first century, in the Gentile world, if you had 2,000 pigs, that was a lot of capital. Those were very vital assets in that economy. And they all just went running into the sea and they died. What's happening here? I think what's happening here is Jesus is trying to tell us that compared to the salvation that he brings, even for just one person, the loss of of those things that we hold most dear are of absolutely no account. Jesus is teaching us that we need to see the salvation that he brings is far more valuable than all of the things that we hold most dear. And in fact, when he breaks into your life, He fundamentally rewires your heart to begin to see that the things that are most valuable are perhaps not those things that we saw before. And one writer puts it like this, how tragic that people both then and now cling to the sins which will ultimately destroy them and beg Jesus to leave rather than change them. See, Jesus challenges us with his power He shows us the uniqueness of his power. And he has this unique power to make new people, to restore them, to free them, to free you and me from every spiritual power contrary to his goodness and his mercy. So what then might this look like in your life or my life? Let's look at what happens to this man that Jesus restores and renews. We see the evidence of his power in verses 18 to 20. Notice what happens here. First of all, if we look at 
back up to verse 15. Here is this man. He's clothed. And he's in his right mind. And he's sitting at Jesus' feet. He has an entirely new life. He's no longer spending his days and his nights crying out in anguish and torment. But he's at the feet of Jesus. Restored. Whole. It's but a picture of the image of God. Restored in a man's life that had been utterly shattered. But then notice, what else does this power that Jesus has create? Look in verse 18. In striking contrast to those who came to see what Jesus had done, who begged Jesus to leave, now this man, as Jesus was getting into the boat to, to leave, he begs Jesus. He begs Jesus to go with him. The desire of this man's heart is to be with Jesus. But interestingly, Jesus says, no, that's not what I want you to do right now. Instead, I want you to go home. And I want you to go tell your family and your friends. Perhaps many of those people who had come out to see what had happened. And I want you to tell them all that the Lord has done for you. You see, the first evidence of this power is there's an entirely new life. The second one is it's a thoroughgoing desire to be with Jesus. But then third, it's a willingness to do what Jesus commands. The fundamental orientation of your life now becomes not my will be done, but your will be done. Those are the three pieces of evidence Jesus gives through this man's life. Of what happens when his power takes root in your heart. So then how do you experience this kind of rescue? This kind of restoration and renewal? Well, we need to receive his mercy and rest in his power. See, the the man who was freed here in verse 15, the, the language that Mark uses, sitting there clothed in his right mind, is but a picture of a disciple. It means that you need to receive Jesus. Jesus' question earlier on in the storm to the disciples is, do you still have no faith? The question for us tonight is, do you trust Jesus? And if not, why not? Especially in light of the power revealed in these stories to rescue and to save, to restore and to renew. You see, Jesus, through these two stories, is making a case for you to transfer your trust from yourself to Him, to utterly throw yourself at His feet, to call upon Him to receive His grace and His mercy. Therefore, believing the gospel means... Trusting in Jesus not only for his power, but for his sacrifice. As we see again and again, there's always or often a picture of an exchange or a trading of places. And that's true in this story too. Here this this Gentile man 
possessed with demons, utterly outside of his community, is now brought back in and he's restored. And as we'll see at the end of this gospel, Jesus finds himself again outside the city, alone, rejected, hung on a cross, despised and forsaken. And that is the picture, the ultimate picture of the power of Jesus. That in his weakness, we see his power most clearly portrayed. That he would come and give his life for sinners. So, do you relate to the disciples tonight? Are you unsure what to make of Jesus? Are you struggling to believe that he cares for you? Or do you relate to the demoniac? Do you, do you or someone you know feel as though there is no hope for change? There is no hope for freedom from the inner battles that you face? Or do you find yourself relating to the people who came to see what Jesus had done and perhaps you still find yourself threatened by Jesus or afraid of him or unwilling to receive him? Wherever you find yourself this evening, Jesus puts both his power and his mercy on display for you to enjoy through faith in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that the picture of Jesus that you've given us in this story would sit with us, that you would give us time and the willingness to ponder it. And that we would respond to Jesus' questions of, why are you so afraid? Help us to receive that question as an invitation to take our fear to him. And Father, we ask that even as we struggle perhaps to see ourselves in the life of the demoniac, we ask that you would give us eyes to see how desperately needy we really are and how all-sufficient you are for us. Father, thank you, and we pray that you would help us to trust Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.